you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Church, if you have your Bibles with you, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in the tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but we would be further clothed, so that in that, sorry, that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all Therefore, all have died, and he has died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him, us, no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Don. And um, as we, we dive into that text, which is a wonderful passage, I'd love us, though, to just honour our musicians. Um, I don't know about you, as, as we, I was worshipping this morning, all of their dedication, their work, their preparation, bringing before us so that, that we can lift our hearts in praise as we did. So let's give those guys thank you so much. All right. Um, I love camping. Uh, and it's probably no surprise uh, to most of you. I love camping because it brings you close to God's creation like nothing else does. you just got that thin layer of canvas or nylon, whatever it is, between you and the elements. And it brings you close to other people too. Camping brings you close to one another in a way that, I don't know, staying in a motel room doesn't in quite the same way. And uh, Paul knew a bit about camping. Anyone know what his job was aside from preaching the gospel? He was a tent maker. He made tents. He knew about tents. And this morning, Paul uses the analogy of camping or of a tent to make some pretty big points. But before you campers like me get too excited, you need to see that his, his analogy about camping is not always the same way that I would if I was writing that text, I don't think. There's some few home truths here. Uh, Paul's going to look at this text and say, all right, who are you as Christians? Why are you here? What's your purpose? And by looking at that analogy of tent and another one that we'll look at closer, you'll see the points that he made, and they're really, really good. So number one, verse one, for we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. He speaks about destroyed tents. Now, um, many of you, most of you, will know of the wonderful Brendan Wright. Uh, Brendan um, is a dear friend of mine. He, he, for the almost eight, nine years, Brendan was part of the, the, the in, initial effort to, to plant the church that is City on a Hill, Geelong. Brendan and I worked together very intimately, and I think in those eight or nine years, we had one moment of severe tension. And believe it or not, it was around tense. So what happened was, uh, Brennan was uh, pioneering the youth ministry for our church, and he was passionate about that, and we were running it on a shoestring budget as we did everything else. So he said, all right, we've got the youth camp coming up. Can I borrow your tent for the youth camp? And uh, I was like, kind of my tent is like the Ferrari in my camping garage. You know, it's, it's the most expensive thing in my camping equipment, and I, I, I'm very, very kind of pedantic about that tent. It's, you know, it's important to me, but I gulped when he asked and says, okay, man's life does not consist in the quality of his tent, so all right, yeah, of course you can have it, Brendan, but one thing, this is an awesome tent, but it, it's kind of fragile to the wind, so you need to peg out the, the storm guys every time, even if you don't think it's windy, but he's, yep, no worries, got it. Two days later, I get the call. I'm so sorry. There was no wind when we set it up. But then the wind came and it's the six poles are snapped and the flies, the tent's wrecked. I'm so, so sorry. I'm like, gulp. Um, it's fine, Brennan. It's fine. These things happen. And then afterwards I, I sobbed. But I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> but but I, I, I thought I was pretty, I was pretty, I handled it fairly well. A year later, 
Fast forward a year later, Brennan goes, youth camp version two. And he goes, like, I, we're, you know, we're camping again. Can I borrow the new tent? And I was like, all right. Yes, Brendan, we had a bit of a bad experience last year with the tent. So one thing, you've, the new one, you've got to peg it out, even if it's not windy, right? You've got to peg it out. So yeah, I know, I learned the lesson. Three days later. Well, it was a reminder how fragile our tents really are. And Paul says that the tent that he's talking about is our bodies. And he's saying they're fragile. They're like a tent. They wear out and they can and will be destroyed. Uh, Perhaps some of you, particularly if you're on the older side of things, you go, yeah, I know my my tent is fragile. Uh, Younger folk, when I preach tonight at the six, I always feel like they're going, yeah, yeah, we pay lip service to that. But right now, most of us have no idea what what you're talking about. But it's true, isn't it? On on Tuesday morning at nine o'clock, I sat in the, uh, the cancer specialist room waiting for a diagnosis to come back or waiting for a result to come back. I had a growth in my lung that they found a little while ago and... You know, I, I'm sitting there waiting like in the next minute or two when I go to see the specialist, everything could change. It's fragile. And sooner or later, that, that experience will be every one of our experiences. And thankfully for me, the, the specialist came back and says, I think you're clear. I don't think you have lung cancer. Whew. But the tent's fragile, yours and mine. And our our earthly camping trip in the tent of the body, which I would, if I was writing this passage, would have had this idyllic experience of camping. Uh, When when Paul speaks about the tent of our body, he actually doesn't use that idyllic kind of language. You notice that, verse 2? For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. He says, "We, we groan in the body of this tent. And sometimes it's physical groaning, um, sometimes there is the, the physical pain that as we, as we, the body that is our tent is groaning because it's, it's sick or it's hurting or it's broken or it's dying. But I think when Paul speaks about groaning in the body of the tent, that's only part of it. Uh, there's a groaning that's a spiritual groaning um, that you and I inhabit this body, this physical body, and it's not how it was meant to be. It's a body that's beautifully designed and created. It, it is a Ferrari, right? It's, it's an incredible work of art, but it's, it's still not what it was meant to be. And you and I, are the Bible teaches, are eternal beings, right? You are immortal. You're, the inner part of you was designed never to die, and yet it is in a tent that is fragile and breaking. And, and Romans 8, which is actually the theme of the conference in 10 days' time, uh, Matt Chandler will be, will be drawing on some of those verses. But Paul, when he's writing to the Romans in chapter 8, he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of, of childbirth until now. Mothers, you know that, <laughs> what that's like. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Paul's speaking about the redemption of our bodies. Our our bodies are not what they're meant to be. There's an inward groaning that's not just physical, it's spiritual. We groan 
inwardly because we long for our real home. Notice that, what he says? This tent that we live in is going to be destroyed, but we have an eternal home. We're made by human hands. An eternal dwelling. So we groan inwardly while we're waiting. And, and here's the good news. We're going home. Our life in the tent of the body is running out, and that's good news. Now, I struggle to understand this because when I go on a camping trip, as the camping trip gets closer towards the end, I often get increasingly depressed. I'm like, oh, this camping experience is about to end. I'm going back to all of the, like you, you know, the busyness of the workplace and the pressures of the things, and I'm like, oh, it's only two days to go, then it's one day, then it's only, oh, it's the last sleep, you know, and that's my experience. I'm kind of almost groaning that the camping experience is over. Dana, though, has a different perspective. She, she's, she's groaning in the tent looking forward to it being finished. You know, she, she'll come camping and, she, and she'll, she'll do it gladly. But while she loves a camping trip, she loves her home a lot more. She loves the nice comfy bed and the warm heater and, and, and she loves the shower and she loves her beloved cat. And so for her, the camping trip coming to a close is is a good thing, and, and that's more what Paul's saying, verse 1, that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we've got a building from God. Feel about that? Tent, body, destroyed, building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's good news. Paul says, when this earthly tent's destroyed, we've got a home, and the home is going to be a lot better than the tent. One day we'll have permanent bodies that are, are eternal homes. I don't know if you think about that. It's extraordinary to think about what your body will one day be. The tent that you inhabit now will one day be transformed into eternal dwelling. So when Paul um, speaks about it earlier to the Corinthians, they've got a lot of questions about that. They're going, how's that going to work? And you and I have the same sort of questions, like how is this body that's now a tent going to turn into a home? How is that going to work? And Paul, um, writing to them in chapter 15 of his first letter, says, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's what we are, flesh and blood. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We're perishable, heaven's imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We won't all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed wow tent gone eternal home arrived for this imperishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality the tent that you inhabit one day will become a home and we don't know the details of what it's going to be but we can look at Jesus resurrection body and we can draw some some inferences about what your body is going to be like, what mine is. I think you'll be able to fly. You say, Andrew, where's your scriptural justification? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to die on this hill, but Jesus ascending into heaven, he, I don't know how it works, but I suspect, we'll be, and I've always, one of the, as a kid, I always had dreams about wanting to be able to fly. I reckon we'll be able to fly. We'll certainly be able to go through walls and go through doors. We'll be able to eat food and celebrate and feast and not get fat and not get sick because we ate too much, um, we will have bodies that are like the angels. Human bodies, immortal human bodies, transformed to be like the angels without pain, not dying, eternally indestructible, imperishable. 
Bodies that are finally worthy of, they're no longer jars of clay. They will be bodies that are worthy of the imperishable truth, the imperishable reality that is within them. Christ Jesus inside. You're going to have that body. When the tent breaks down and is destroyed, when the poles go through the fly and it has to go into the bin, you'll have an eternal home. And Paul says, it's going to be a lot better than the tent. And verse 10, we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. So not just physically we're going to be able to do these things, but while you and I are in the tent, the body, Paul says we're away from Jesus. Now, now we know the reality that Jesus is with us always. We know that he is here with us, and then when we become Christians, the, the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells within us. But there's still a reality that as long as we're in this tent, we're away from Jesus. There's barriers between us and Jesus that will one day vanish. Uh, what are a couple of those barriers? Well, our bodies get, these tents get in the way when we want to talk to God, don't they? At least mine does. I'm going to get up really early this morning, get the Bible out, coffee there, great time with the Lord, and then 15 minutes later I wake up and realize that I've just gone back. Did anyone else have that? And we're praying and then my body decides, I'm really hungry. Just, I'll just get some toast and I'll come back and then, then I'll be able to... You know, we have, our bodies are constantly getting in the way of, of our relationship with God. We, we want to pray all the time, but our bodies go like... I'm tired, you know, or they, I'm sick, or whatever. In fact, um, George Whitfield, who was a, a fantastic uh, 18th century evangelist, um, named my middle names of one of my sons after him, real hero of mine. He, he describes in his conversion, I mean, his, in his, uh, in his, well, it, it's, it's, I read in his biography, but in a letter he was talking about the fact that he'd, he'd just been this most incredible experience with Jesus after he'd been converted, and he was like, it was just amazing. And, and then, but then he said, I, something went wrong. God felt distant, and my heart became cold, and, 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 I, and I spiritually, I was, he's, he's tormenting himself, going, what's going wrong with me? What's going wrong? And then he says, he's got this line, he says, I just realized later that I was getting the flu. He was getting sick, and it was impacting his spiritual, we're a body, mind, soul, we, you know, we're, we're one being. If your body is sick, it's hard to rejoice in the goodness of God. While you are sick, it's just true. Now, and our bodies are not only a barrier between us and God, they're unruly, they want things that are not good for us. My body wants to eat lots of fatty food. It just does. And it tastes so much better. You know, some of you have, have, have you've superseded that. You're healthy eaters. But for me, I just long to eat. And I know it's not good for me, but my body wants it, right? It says, give me that KFC. Give me that whatever it is. I want it. Um, and it's true, not just with our appetites in terms of food. It's appetites. You know, good gift of God, our human sexuality, it easily becomes an appetite that becomes twisted, unhelpful, sinful. Our bodies are a challenge for us. Our tents are a challenge. Um, later, when Paul's writing his first letter to the Corinthians, he, he writes them and he says this. He says, so I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do, Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified from the prize. Whew. And if you heard what he said and let it sink in, Paul says that I have to discipline my body because potentially it will disqualify me. 
I might preach these fine words, but if my body gets out of control, it may disqualify me from the prize. But one day, Paul says, the tent's gonna be destroyed. And the home, eternal home, will, will come. But Paul says we're in good courage even while we groan in these earthly tents. Because verse five, listen to this. Because he who has prepared for us this very thing, the eternal home, is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit, if you think about this, the Holy Spirit is not sort of a, a vague agency like the force in Star Wars. It's a, the Holy Spirit is a person, has a personal pronoun in the Scriptures. It's he. The Holy Spirit is, is God himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Paul says the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells within your tent when you are converted. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you have the imperishable eternal God dwelling inside you as the Holy Spirit lives within you. Paul says, God has given us the Spirit. It's a down payment. It's a down payment that one day when the tent is gone, the Holy Spirit will still be in you, but he will be, he will be clothed or he will live in the imperishable house. It's a, it's a promise, he says. So that's why we don't lose heart because we're living by not by sight, not looking at the eternal, looking at the external things. We're looking at the, the, what we can't see. We live by faith. Faith in the God who gave us the Holy Spirit will one day give us the full thing. And Paul's still in the body, just like we are. And so he says this, verse eight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, because I'd rather be dead, but whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Paul says, while we're on this camping trip, what, what's the reason that you're here? What's the, the overwhelming desire that should motivate you? Please him. Paul says, that's the aim. I want to please him. I want to please Jesus while I'm in the tent. Is that, is that something that stirs? Do you hear you say, that's my aim, Andrew, too. I want to please him in everything. As I live in this tent, as I feed it and care for it, as I go to work, as I, I, that's what I want to do. I want to please him. Paul says that is our aim. And it's so important for us to hear because you know what? It's easy to go that what happens in the tent stays in the tent. Now, that's, that's an army term. So the army has a term which I think is deeply unhelpful. But they say, what happens on operations stays on operations. Have you ever heard that, or is that only army language? Yeah, what happens on operations stays on. In other words, when you go and you deploy from Australia and you go into a combat zone, as I did, what happens over there stays over there. So when you come back into your real home and you leave the tent that you live in, you come back into your real home back in Australia, what happened over there you, you, you draw the line. And there can be some helpful points in that. But I'll tell you how it often works out is that there are periods of leave that occur when you're in operations. They, the Americans call them R&R, &R, rest and recreation. That they will, You'll go to a foreign city or a foreign port and you'll have maybe in the midst of this time intense, you will have the opportunity to visit a foreign city. And you can imagine how that saying is interpreted. It says, well, what happens in operations stays on operations. So I can do what I want, when I'm living in the tent and when I get home to my wife and family, 
They never need to know what actually happened over there. It stays over there. See, it's easy to view that what we do in our mortal bodies is not really important. And, and that's a big theme of Corinthians because Paul's writing to the Corinthians and they go, the body is just a meat shell. It contains the real immortal you, so you just treat it however it wants. Unite it with a prostitute, big deal. You know, it doesn't matter. But that's not what Paul's seeing. He's saying, your body matters. How you live in your body really matters. And listen to verse 10. Because Paul's saying it's not just a tent, it's a tent. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. See that? All so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's a very significant Paul's saying, your body, the tent you live in, make it your aim to please him, to please God, because one day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus, his judgment seat, and you will receive either for what you did in your body, good or evil. Don't think it's talking about people here who are not Christians. I'm not talking about heaven and hell. I think we're talking about rewards or lack of reward for Christians. He's writing to the Corinthians here and saying, we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and what you did in your tent will be assessed. It matters. So, as we, as we tie this up, you know, we, we've got the camping analogy that, that Paul has used, and he's saying, while we're in the tent, we make it our aim to please him. And then he finishes off this passage with a, another analogy. And I think that, that the second analogy that he use, uses actually helps understand the first. What does it mean to leave to please him? Well, verses 11 to 21, especially verse 20, therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. Second image. God making his appeal through us. You want to know what it is to live to please the Lord in the body? Be a good ambassador. So what does it mean to be an ambassador? I I think we probably all understand what an ambassador is. It's a representative of someone else. Um, I, I got to understand this quite intimately when I was studying in the UK. Um, I was, there was a girl at my church, a good friend of mine, whose name was Charlotte. And uh, one day after church in the morning, we were chatting away. And she said, oh, what are you doing this summer? She says, well, I'm, I said, I'm doing US foreign policy. So I'm going, I'll be spending the summer in Washington, DC. And I'll be um, doing research for my thesis. And she said, oh, wow, I'm going to Washington, DC too. Why don't you stay with us? Well, sounds wonderful. And so a few weeks later, I found myself staying at the British Embassy in Washington. Why? Because her dad happened to be the assistant British ambassador to the United States of America. And I got to stay in the British Embassy for quite a long time. Now, let me tell you, um, I quickly realized that, that while I was an Aussie, I suddenly was in one sense, a British ambassador. I'll tell you why, because the car pulled up with the little Union Jacks on the front and I got out of the car, they were dropping me to some random appointment or something, the driver, and everyone else would look, wow, 
this guy's got out of the British ambassador's car. And, 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 and let me tell you, I, I, my wife at the time, she wasn't, Dana wasn't my wife then, but she was like, oh, Andrew, you are going to be, your dress sense is going to be such a bad representation to, of the United Kingdom. This is not good. Um, but I, I became very aware of it. Uh, that wherever I went, that I was actually representing Great Britain, whether it was like uh, my terrible water skiing as we water skied on the embassy boat with the, British, the Union Jack flying out, my terrible water skiing, the way I related to the cook and the cleaner and the gardener as I lived in the embassy, all of these things were saying, this is what British people do. I was very conscious of it, you know, that I was an ambassador. And in a much bigger way, when you uh, become... A Christian, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, Paul says, you become an ambassador of the King. Every single Christian, every single person who is saved by Christ then comes to represent Christ to the world. That's a frightening, beautiful thing. Now, what does it mean for us to do that? Well, verse 17, wonderful, wonderful verses. I remember learning this in the first year after I became a Christian as I memorized all these verses Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old is gone, new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's got to slow down as I read this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Paul's saying that this is the big, the big picture, the big news. God is coming and he's reconciling. That means bringing two parties that are opposed to each other, enemies, bringing them together, not counting their sins against them, through Jesus Christ in us, through in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. Then he says, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, Paul means himself, he means the Apostle Paul and his ministry team, they've got the message, but you and I do too. Paul's not the only ambassador. You and I who have been reconciled, if we have this morning, by Jesus Christ, you and I have got the ministry of reconciliation. You've got your ambassador diplomatic passport. He's given it to you in the tent. Wherever you go, you will represent Christ to the world. You'll be his ambassador. So people who want to know what God looks like will look at you and they'll look at me and they'll look at our church. And this is one reason why we need to make sure that when we inhabit the tent of the body, we do it in a way that glorifies and pleases Christ because everyone's watching. I've shared before, but it was just such a moment for me where I'd done the wrong thing in my army career, nothing to do directly with being a Christian or anything, but I'd done the wrong thing. And I was called before a senior officer who was not a Christian, made no pretense to be a Christian, but he said to me, he said like, Andrew, you're a Christian. Would Jesus have done what you did? Oh, man. This non-Christian guy just cut me. He got to me like, no, I think good. And I was like, you know what? You're right. He wouldn't have. He exposed my hypocrisy. What he was saying was, not even a Christian saying, you're a bad ambassador right now for your king. Oh. It's one of the reasons that we fight sin in, in our own lives 
not just because we get more holy, but because, because if we don't, it, it speaks to the world around us and it, it portrays, we're bad ambassadors, it portrays an image of the king, which is not good, you know? It's one of the reasons we, we fight sin. And, and it's devastating to others when we don't. I mean, I've debated about whether I should share this, but there's no, I, I had an example for you from 20 years ago when I did the wrong thing, but that's it's kind of a little bit not, not the best, is it? So I've come up with one from last year and <laughs> could have been more recently, but it, it's, I, it, it's, it was horrible. Um, there were reasons that factored into it from my side, but, but I lost my temper with my wife. And I yelled at her and I said terrible things, things that were hurtful, things that were, were not called for. And my example as an ambassador to her, who I'm called in the scriptures to love and to give myself for and to pray for and present cleansed, washed, pure before, it was terrible. But that probably in some ways wasn't the worst of it. So when, when I apologized to her, she, she, she rightfully said, she said, you also need to go to the kids because they heard it. So I had to go to each of the kids and I had to say to them, what I did was wrong. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? That is not the way that a Christian man should behave. Ambassadors for Christ, what an incredible privilege. What an incredible weight. And, and you know, sometimes we think it's just how we behave in church, but it's how you behave in the workplace, isn't it? Are you on time? Do you do the job that you were told to do? do? Do you work hard or only when the boss is watching you? Do you work when they're not? Are you the sort of person that, that walks through life and says, look, when you see the way that I respond to that nasty person, to the boss that yells at me, or to this person in, this, in the car who honks the horn at you as they cut you off, is that Jesus Christ? Because you're an ambassador. This is weighty. But as I finish, I want us to, to see that it's not, it's not a guilt thing. It's not a thing where we go, we've got to be good ambassadors because we'll feel guilty if we don't. That's not the motivation. Listen to the motivation in verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us or controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Jesus Christ compels us. So as we live in this mortal tent, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling with us, communicating to us the love of Christ, Christ's love compels us. As ambassadors, we go out and we try to persuade, Paul says. We plead, be reconciled with God. But it's not because we have to, because oh, I've become a Christian now, I've got to share my faith. I've got to. No, no, no. Because the love of Christ, the love of Jesus, demonstrated in his gospel, reconciling us who are far away, bringing us closer so that we're new creations, new creatures. The love of Christ. Love of God in Christ compels us. So musicians, as you come up, I'm going to pray that, that the love of Christ would compel 
you as it compels me, that the love of Christ would compel our church. And as we live in the mortal body, body, we would be ambassadors for our amazing, wonderful king, calling out to the world, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to this king who we represent. So let's pray. Our Father, we come to a text like this and we have to search ourselves. We have to examine ourselves and there are things we see that are not good ambassadors. Lord, we know that um, if we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. So We know, Lord, that we fall short as your ambassadors, as your ministers of reconciliation, but we thank you, Lord, for the love of Christ in God. We thank you, Lord, that in your wonderful gospel, you brought us close, that we're new creations and new creatures. And so, Lord, we pray that as a church and as individuals, as we go into this week, that as we examine ourselves, Lord, you would, in your mercy, compel us with your love, overwhelm us with the love of God in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as new creations, we might proclaim your We may live in a way that pleases you, proclaiming your goodness to the world in which we live. We need your help. And we ask, Lord, that as a church community, this would mark us, faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to be reconciled. And in his name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.